a lot of these mentors or influencers that have greatly impacted my work and my life are people I've never met. And they don't even know that my co-founder, Jane, she calls them my intellectual boyfriends because they have to all be men. In a corporate world where all employees have great leaders with no egos that create fun cultures where people can do their best work, the employees and companies thrive while doing great things for the customers, themselves, and each other. Well, we know that rarely happens. I'm Jeff Palaccio. I have been a leader for over 40 years for every t-shirt-sized company, from small 16 employees to extra-large over 1 million. Please join me while I interview outstanding leaders that will share stories of great leadership and not so great. It will help you become a better leader while poking fun about all the crazy shit that happens in corporate America. Hi, I'm Joe Deshawn, and welcome to The Corporate Couch with Jeff Palaccio. Today, Jeff is interviewing Sue Tesloff. Sue is the co-founder, chief strategist, and executive officer of Capstone Leadership Solutions Incorporated, partnering with healthcare organizations to assess, plan, and execute strategies that move organizations forward and higher. Prior to founding Capstone, Sue worked for 21 years at War Memorial Hospital in Salt St. Marie, Michigan, serving as Chief Nursing Officer, Chief Operating Officer, Vice President of Quality and Risk Management, and Interim CEO. Sue has an Associate Degree in Nursing from Ferris State University, as well as a Master of Healthcare Administration, Hospital Administration, from the Carlson School of Management at the University of Minnesota. You can learn more about Sue at capstoneleadership.net. Let's listen as Jeff talks to Sue. Sue, I'd like to welcome you to the corporate couch this morning. Delighted to be here, Jeff. Yeah, this is great. I, I love your career. We uh, were introduced by Doug Morris, uh, one of my colleagues at Exec HQ, and uh, had a nice conversation. I think it was right before Thanksgiving, possibly. Yeah, it was. Yes. Yeah. So we're recording here. And, uh, we're going through the holidays together, Jeff. Yeah, this is it. Very nice. This is uh, 13 days before Christmas, 2023. So yeah, I'm uh, very excited to talk about your career. Uh, I, I'm I've, you're the second nurse, uh, maybe the third nurse I've interviewed, or former nurse. Obviously, you're doing other things now, but yeah, very excited. We have a, several nurses in our family, so it's it's all good. So, well, one of the sayings we say is, in the nursing profession is, "A nurse is not a nurse is not a nurse." <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love yeah. it. Let's start with a fun question. Um, even for people that know you fairly well, Sue, what one thing would surprise them about you? So I think one of the things that surprises people most when they're getting to know me and we get beyond general introductions or them knowing about my work or just uh, meeting maybe uh, outside of work is that I always see that look on their face when I mention that my husband and I, when we joined our families together, almost 15 years ago that combined we have 10 children. So that that does give uh, quite a, a look on the face of most people that that hear that news. We talked about that when we chatted uh, before Thanksgiving. What I love about that, I we have a blended family also, and I describe our family as a mini 
Brady Bunch, but uh, <laughs> you're like the Brady Bunch on steroids. So we're like the mega Brady Bunch for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you have two uh, starting uh, basketball teams that can compete. We against do, each other. we do. So, we uh, both have two boys and three girls, and uh, yeah. yep, they're fortunately all now out of the house, so we're empty nesters. So we thought we'd never get to the end of that, but but we've made it that far. So yeah, now wow. we're on to grandchildren. So love that, love that. Mm-hmm. Um, Growing up, what was fun for you? What did you love doing? I had just a beautiful childhood, Jeff. Um, I lived in a really small town, like about 300 people. In fact, at one point, just for fun, my neighbors and I, some friends that were now lifelong friends, 50 plus years, we still are in close friendship. And we sat down one day and we wrote down everyone who lived in our family. We kind of mentally went road by road and house by house and we could name everyone in our neighborhood in our community so it was a very small community but what was so fun about that is you know hear the line of it takes a village but that was my childhood I felt raised by a community and there was this road that where our church was on the corner and you went down that dead end road called the hollow there was a makeshift ball diamond down there and so our lives revolved around that road, that church, the hollow, the ball diamond. We ran in a pack. Most of our parents owned businesses. You live in a small community. My parents own a, owned a gas station and grocery store in the community. Our neighbors owned a construction business. Our other neighbors owned a snowmobile at a shop and the others owned the restaurant. And so our parents were busy you know, owning and running their businesses. So as children, we kind of ran in a pack and we were independent, autonomous. We didn't get into too much trouble, but my childhood was beautiful in that way. I wouldn't have wanted it any different. Yeah, no, very nice. Uh, mm-hmm. Did you ever work at the gas station pumping gas as a child? Oh, yes. Yep. My parents bought the gas station when I was uh, seven years old. So that was my first job, pumping gas, checking oil, um, that's old. Packing the shelves, running the till, you name it. We, we started to work. And then when our neighbors, uh, built, uh, they built the restaurant in town and my twin sister and I started working there as soon as that was built. So we had two jobs before we were 13. We didn't even have really a permit to work yet, but we were working. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's that's great and i love that you did pump gas my uncle uh, where i grew up uh owned uh ron sunoco station so i never pumped gas there but my brother did so there you yeah. go um yeah um yeah so what aspirations did you have as a child like did you say when i grow up i want to be this well you know it's so weird like this is an interesting dynamic i i just you know, hinted that I'm a twin. I am an identical twin. And what was so weird about, we were so much alike in so many ways, but what was so different was that at a very early age, she knew exactly what she wanted to do. And honestly, I don't even know how she learned about it. It didn't seem like anything we were exposed to in our childhood, but she heard about this thing and she wanted to do that. She went to school for it. She took her, her whole career has been around that. And she knew that at a very young age, I had no idea. I was all over the place. I I couldn't land on any one thing. I was just all over the place. And 
my college education took that path too. I was all over the place, different universities, different degrees, different courses for many years. It really was something that I struggled with. And I did not know at an early age what I wanted to do. So you, you obviously didn't want to pump gas, but you didn't <laughs> I want to be this at all. You were just went through you know, childhood. What I did learn through that, though, a couple things. One, I really admired the entrepreneurial spirit and the business owner spirit of our community and the people in it and and the families and the parents that I did know. So I guess that always intrigued me um, was business, being in business and then um, service. You know, um, those are all service type industries. In fact, when I was a chief nursing officer, I loved when I saw on an applicant on their resume, I, I loved when I saw that maybe they worked their way through nursing school in a service-oriented business like a restaurant or a hotel or something like that, because that really showed me that they had maybe some experience in serving others in the public. Yeah, very nice. So those are two things that that happened. But you know what happened too is I think this happens in the education system probably still happens today. It did back when I was in school is, you know, once your teachers recognize something um, that maybe you're, you do really well at, or that you catch on easy to, they start kind of like steering you maybe in that direction or encouraging you. And I guess that's meant to be helpful, but that did kind of cause a little bit of a false start to my, my education in that I was um, in high school, I was exposed to computer programming. And this is at the time before there was PCs, we're talking mainframes and those kind of things. And I just had a knack for, for programming languages and anyone they, you know, exposed me to, I, I just got it, you know, and my brain worked in that logic of this, then that kind of thing. And so I was kind of steered in that direction. And so my early education was in that area of computer programming. So was that your first declared major when you went to college? It that? was. Okay. It was. Yeah. So how many declared majors did you have? <laughs> I would actually college? have to keep a. I would have to. I would have to ponder that probably too long. I'm not sure we have, but several. Let's just say many. Um, I changed. Uh, I think my mom thought maybe I was going to be a professional student more than um, you know join. The, the workforce. I love to learn. I love going to school. I, I don't consider it any of it wasted per se. Um, there's many times where I think, wow, you know, I learned this during this part of my education and now it's coming back to, to serve me well. So, but it, it was many, I kept changing schools. I kept changing majors. I almost went into engineering. I was living in a place where they had a, a engineering school and an engineering management school. And I almost went that direction, but along the way, healthcare found me. Yeah. I love that story. Um, I think it's hard for any 18 year old, honestly, to figure out what they want to do. And there's a, like your a twin sister, uh, there's some people that knew exactly, but I would say the vast majority of I've interviewed probably about 65 people on the, on the podcast and I would say the vast majority didn't know what they wanted to do. So yes, yes, yeah. I had to. Um, I had the opportunity to speak at my niece's graduation. I was 
alumni of the year for my high school. And, and one of the honors of doing that was you get to speak at the, be the guest speaker at the graduation that year. And my niece was graduating. So that was a double delight. And that was part of my message to the group is most of you sitting here are probably more like me than my twin sister. <laughs> so what was your first job when you finally graduated out of college and how did you get it? When I graduated from, finally graduated from university, I had a dual degree in nursing and health information management, and I moved kind of back home. So the big city near my original hometown was, um, it's still a small community. It's, it's rural and small in Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan. And when I moved here, they had one hospital and I have two degrees in healthcare. So of course I applied there, but interestingly, my identical twin sister was working in the health information management department of this hospital here in our, our hometown. And she was going on maternity leave. So I was graduating with a degree to do the work she was doing. And she was going on maternity leave. So I actually sat at her desk and did her job as my first job after I left university. And you didn't even tell them that you were actually the twin sister. They thought you were her, probably. It confused a lot of people right out of the gate. In fact, there was, I remember a physician one time came into the office. He obviously didn't get the memo or hear the message or the story or the irony of this. And he was, he thought I had come back from maternity leave very quickly and very thin. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, I love it. Um, so it, I know you spent a lot of time. Is this the, the War Memorial Hospital? Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. They've now changed names. They're part of a system, my Michigan. Sure. So yeah. So wow. So you got this job basically as your sister went on maternity leave. But tell us about your career there, because you spent 21 years and the yeah. progression, because I know you were the chief nursing officer, the COO, the interim CEO. So tell us about your career progression there. And uh, Yeah, I'll kind of give you the short version. Yeah. Uh, so, so when I um, took that initial job, obviously, it was only temporary, I wasn't going to outseat my sister in her job. So I knew it was temporary. And the interesting thing was that I really wanted to start my career with bedside nursing, frontline nursing, you know, so I've now got my license, I've got my degree. And so interestingly, they didn't have a single opening for a nursing position. While I sat there in that temporary job waiting, I thought one would come open and it didn't. And I thought, geez, am I meant to do something else? So I looked at some other nursing jobs in the area. We have a prison system here. Went there for an interview and knew by the time I left the interview that even if they offered me a job, it wasn't my path. Right. <laughs> so I um, I thought, okay, what what does this mean? You know, and and what should I do instead or next while I wait? And so the interesting part was is that before I I finished my degree, I had to do several internships, three of them actually over the course of those years. And one of them was in a unit or in a hospital in Northern Michigan, a bigger facility. And it was an administrative internship. 
And so it was in a leadership or administrative area. And it was required for my bachelor's degree in health information management. And while I was there over that summer doing that internship, I was exposed to, you know, the process in the industry of moving from quality assurance to total quality management and adopting those philosophies and, and bringing those into healthcare and making that shift in how healthcare organizations always get better and organize their efforts to improve results to patients. And so over that summer, it just happened to be they were doing a lot of work around that as an organization. And it was my main exposure to that in that organization. And so somehow the CEO at the hospital where I was sitting there in that temporary job looking for a nursing job, he had heard that I had had this internship with this special emphasis on continuous quality improvement. And so one day I was sitting there at my desk doing my job and the his executive assistant tapped me on the shoulder and he said, the CEO wants to talk to you. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, little old me, you know, um, weeks out of out of university and the CEO wants to talk to me. And so I just went down to administration and he said he was looking for somebody with this knowledge and skill to lead this part of our organization's efforts. He wanted another nurse on his team that wasn't the chief nursing officer that was more focused on quality and process improvement and positive change. And he wondered if I'd take the job. And by the end of that day, I had a new job to start when my sister came back to work. And it wasn't as a staff nurse. It was on the administrative team of our hospital. So I was like three months out of university. Wow. And I was now working in administration. Wow. So did you ever work as a staff nurse then? Never. Wow. Just in my clinicals, you know, all the time in clinicals. And what was really interesting, surprising to me is I absolutely loved the clinical, you know, work of, of nursing. Like I love the service aspects of it, the purposefulness and meaningfulness of those interactions. And so it was really a twist to me to be removed from that but you know kind of a full circle moment um way fast forwarding ahead and I'll get back to the question about you know what happened after that and and kind of the steps that happened was kind of a full circle moment in the last year I was there working still in administration I was on a process improvement team I was the executive sponsor for a team that was of clinicians that was working to decrease mortality and morbidity for patients that had sepsis uh, severe infections and sepsis and it has a high mortality rate and we were working on this this initiative and one day when we were working on it we had just got some data in that showed some amazing improvements in the outcomes of our patients like just dramatic and I remember the pulmonologist on the team, he picked up his head from looking at this data that was so favorable. And he looked straight at me and some of the other nurses on the team. And he said, we may not be at the bedside of the patient here today, but here in this room, we are saving lives. And still I get chills because I can picture that moment and almost like this 20 plus years of experience being summed up by his words of 
We may not be at the bedside right now, but here today in this room, we're saving lives. Yeah. Wow. That's powerful. Who were some of your mentors along the way in terms of leadership and what impact did they have on you? That very first CEO that plucked me out of my plans for life and created this, this new vision for, for where my career might go right away. He said to me, you've got to get your master's degree. Um, you know, you've got your bachelor's degrees and you just got to, you got to move next. If you're going to do this work of healthcare, you know, administration, you've got to get your master's degree. So within months of that time, I was started in my master's degree at the university of Minnesota. It's where he had gone to school <laughs> and it was an executive study program before there was really, you know, online education available and so it was a rare opportunity to be able to get into a program where I could work as a full-time executive and be a student in a master's program for healthcare administration. And it was a unique program out of the University of Minnesota, headed by Vernon Weckworth. God rest his soul, he's recently passed. But he was a brilliant visionary when it came to really educating healthcare executives. And it was a requirement that you be in a role where you could instantly apply what you were learning and practice what you were learning versus being in the day school program, which still exists. And, and many of those exist for healthcare administration. But this was a unique program for people that were already in these roles doing this important work, but needing the formal education to support it. And so, so I really thank Jerry for introducing me to the work of administration, but also the education and the program. I, it was just a phenomenal learning experience. And it was so true that I could apply everything that I was learning in the real day-to-day -day work. So I felt like my work and my university were providing amazing opportunities for me to grow as a leader. When Jerry moved on, we our hospital got a, a new CEO, Dan Wakeman. And wow, he was some from some people you'll learn what to do, and for other people, you'll learn what not to do. <laughs> he was the what to do kind of person in my life. He really was a person that taught me about strategic planning in a way that I probably never would have been exposed or learned to, learned it. He just had this really good way of making sure the organization had clearly articulated and well thought out strategies and a good structured way of advancing those strategies and doing that work. And again, that broadened me beyond the area of maybe quality and service in the organization, but really into growing new service lines, those kind of things. So I really appreciate that about Dan. And still today, I do strategic planning for many organizations. It's not something, it's a small scope of the work that I do, but I love being in the boardroom. I love serving as a strategist. I think it really goes along with that, if this, then that, that I learned in computer programming. My mind thinks that way. And I think that that's where some of that connection is of how my mind works and how it can think about the current and the future at the same time and making it better. I love it. I started my career actually in information systems, uh, had a business major and 
So yeah, we're talking Boolean logic here in terms of <laughs> men. Okay, I love. I know. It. Yeah, I yeah. I saw one of your uh, titles at uh, Capstone uh, Leadership Solutions as Chief Strategist. So I, I I love that. So you you're there 21 years. I mean that's a unbelievable great run. So tell the listeners what made you say, okay, I'm done here. I you know I'm gonna create and found or co-found my own company. So what was your thought process there? Almost like that first job there in administration kind of happened to me. I wasn't, I didn't have my sights on it. I wasn't, you know, applying for it and going for it. It kind of just found me. Capstone found me as well. This work that I've been doing for now the last 12 years also found me in this process. So just a little backstory about being at an organization for 20 some years, that's a big amount of time, but that organization is well over a hundred years old. So it's, it's not an organization that, you know, was just started or anything like that. So I wasn't a founding, you know, person in that organization. I came along well into its history, but I stayed there a long time, but that organization was really struggling and it was struggling in a way that a lot of healthcare organizations struggle. I knew that from both an objective and a subjective perspective. From an objective perspective, I knew that from the data. I'm kind of data geeky. And so I could see what was happening with the trends of the data, serving as somebody who was really instrumental in crafting the strategies, you're close to the data of all sorts. And I could see that it was trending in the wrong direction. So if, you know, market share should be going up, it was going down. If patient satisfaction should be going up, it was going down, those kind of things. And so I could see this trend line that was unfavorable and it was building and continuing in an unfavorable way. And what was interesting is with all the wanting and the hard work and all of the knowledge and experience of not just mine, but everyone there, especially on the leadership team, it felt like it was out of control. It felt like no matter how hard we worked, how much we knew, how much we wanted it, we just felt like these trend lines were totally out of our control. And if they continued, you know, we would be at risk of losing a really important community asset. This organization um, that I was working for is 90 miles away from the next closest place where you can have many of the services offered there. Six months out of the year, bad weather. So traveling there would not be easy. Crossing a bridge, the Mackinac Bridge that closes for high wind and ice to go have a baby. I mean, that would be the dynamics of this region of the country if this asset were to, to go away. And so I felt extremely responsible for that in my role in administration, hyper accountable for it. And I remember one day when we were getting ready to craft our next strategic plan, going through our planning cycle, preparing all of this data and information, I remember going, I'm not going to be on the leadership team that loses this important asset for the community. I didn't sign up for this. I haven't invested this much time and energy in this. You know, we have to figure this out and it's not going to be a tweak. It's going to be transformational. It's going to have to be big. It's going to have to be bold. 
And we're going to have to know what that is and we're going to have to make it happen. And so I remember that day where we were just like, okay, this next plan is going to be big. And so that we spent actually the next two years trying to craft this plan. And while we were doing that, things were still moving in the wrong direction. But we were at least in parallel working on what the big, bold moves were going to be. And so when we did decide that it was time to just start, we were in a worse position than when we realized we need to be big and bold. And so when we did just start, one of the things that we did, Jeff, was we learned something out of Harvard Business School in our two years of research and studying and planning and trying to figure it out. And one of the things there, John Cotter out of Harvard Business School, which kind of reminds me of a lot of these mentor mentors or influencers that have greatly impacted my work and my life are people I've never met. And, and they don't even know that, that you know, my my co-founder, Jane, she calls them my intellectual boyfriends because they have to all be men. Um, but John Cotter is one of them out of Harvard Business School. And he's really an international guru on, on big, wide-scale change. And one of the things that he mentioned was you need to have a volunteer army. And you can't execute or even sometimes know what to do without the, the access to this volunteer army. So we put together a volunteer army of employees in a structure of teams. And we took those solutions and plans that we took two years studying and trying to figure out. And we put them in the hands of these employee-driven teams. And then some of them were for leaders. So we put those in the hands of our entire leadership team. And we said basically this, can you make this work here? How can you make this work here? Make it ours, make it better, figure out if this will help us and go. We really empowered them. We really um, engaged them to be major contributors. And within two to three years of masterminding and starting this work, the organization did change in ways that it had never experienced and at speeds that it had never experienced. We went from 75% of our own employees not using the services that were theirs to use with the Blue Cross card that they carried by being an employee. They wouldn't even use the services of the hospital they worked for. And now they were using the, the services. We went from parts of our building being rented out to others because our volumes were so low that we didn't need all of our space to overusing every square inch of our space to building a medical office building, a 30,000 square foot rehab facility, a three-story parking deck, taking over an Air Force Base hospital down the road to add more inpatient and outpatient services. We went from patient satisfaction being in the bottom of the country to the top, turnover rates of employees from 24% down to 11. I mean, all of those measurements started turning around favorably and not just favorably, but in top ranking and award-winning ways, we started to win awards for our, our quality outcomes. We won an award for congestive heart failure outcomes. The place where we started, where we were maybe at 17% compliance with the standard of care. Now we're winning awards in our state. Um, it, it was just nothing short of transformational. And that work 
opened up a whole new possibility for my next steps in my career, but I didn't even know it at the time. I was having so much fun. It was so rewarding. And, but what happened there, Jeff, was that we started to get asked to share our learning, right? So we weren't the only struggling healthcare organization in our state or in the country. So we started to share what we had learned. We got asked to speak at a conference in Chicago on financial turnaround. We got asked to do a webinar in our state for quality turnaround, et cetera, et cetera. Well, on the heels of that, one organization came to our board and our executive team and said, we need it all, everything, everything that you did, that big master plan, all those solutions that you put in the hands of your teams and leaders, we need them all. Can you give them to us? And our board said, that's not our purpose or mission, right? That's not our line of work. Our line of work is our community's health. And so we can't take our eye off that to come help you. And so our board said no. And within a year of that, that community lost its local hospital. And wow, that was reality, right? That that could have happened to us and it is happening to others. And on the heels of that, another hospital came to our board and said, we need it all. Again, our board stayed mission focused and said, nope, that's not our business. But they did look at Jane and I, who were on the leadership team and said, you know, you guys are the ones that usually answer the call when people want to come in and see this in action or take it out on the road to share it at a conference. Maybe you want to start a little business on the side and go help that hospital. And so as busy healthcare executives, we created a side gig called Capstone Leadership Solutions to go help one hospital. And over 30 minutes and a cup of coffee, we named our company and we ran to the courthouse and we filed a DBA and that was on Groundhog's Day in February, 2012. And by July, we were incorporated and we had our first partnership with that local hospital in Northern Michigan to start a similar scope of work. And what we found out was that it worked better faster when you do it a second time. Right. And now 12 years later and dozens of transformations later, it keeps working better and faster because you just keep figuring it out, right? You keep knowing what works, you see the patterns, you see the common barriers and struggles, you know how to prevent them, quickly identify them, overcome them. We found that the magic isn't necessarily in the solutions we put in the hands, but how you get any solution to be used consistently enough, competently enough to get the results that they can get. And so it was that first exposure of setting up the side gig to go help one hospital that led us to deciding we needed to give up our day jobs and do this as a full-time business. And so it's been 12 years now. The first year I was double dutying it. It was kind of a side gig. Um, it was a little bit more than that. I did give a full year's notice for my job um, and transitioning my, my executive job. And I did that because there was a lot of things we still had in motion. And there were certain things I needed. I felt like I needed to own it to a certain level of handoff and there was a couple things that needed to be started and I was in the place to be the one to get them going with some traction for better handoff. So I think I worked harder in that last year for that organization than probably anyone before 
just getting it ready for me to leave. And so I felt really good about my separation and the handoff of the work to others to keep it going. And my mom was just served in that hospital just two weeks ago when she broke her hip. And I can't be prouder. I might even cry. I can't be prouder about how 12 years later, it's still working to serve patients that need their help like my mom did two weeks ago to have her hip replaced after a fall. There's there's so many great things about what you just said in, in, <laughs> in so many different ways. So just that to turn that hospital around and your love and the care that you want to give the community and the, you know, the, you know, the strategist in you thinking it's not just a hospital going down. It's that's, that's someone that's going to have to go across the Mackinac bridge and maybe yeah. not be able to cross it. And, and the, the, what you did in the terms of the turnaround and, and it says a lot about you that you wanted to give a year transition period, just mm -hmm. knowing you had stuff you had left to do and didn't want to leave that hospital, um, you know, in, in a bad situation. So, I mean, that this speaks volumes of you, Sue. The other thing that I think is amazing is, you know, there's companies even today where you cannot, they won't let you you know, in the employee agreement, have a side gig. So your hospital leadership to have that type of, you know, basically servant leadership for the greater good, mm -hmm. that knowing like you can know, yes, we love uh, Sue and your the other person um, that, you know, um, that, that was instrumental in this, but to say, oh my God, let's, create a side gig so you can yeah. help others. That's just, God, it's so many great lessons there. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was, I, I couldn't be prouder of what happened over those 21 years, but also again, how I was treated by overall by the organization and supported by the organization through my education, through my different changing jobs and roles and transitions. I just felt very supported. There was a small era of where that wasn't so. Um, I don't even really like to go into that. It wasn't all all rosy. I, I mentioned those first, you know, that first decade of my career there. You know, we we were working hard and and we were well intended, but we really weren't getting good results. And and I own that too. And then there was a period of time where we we did have some really poor leadership at the top and the organization slid even further backwards. So so it but there were lessons in that, too. Right. You know, there's just so many lessons in that. So, yeah, I I when I look over my life's work. War Memorial Hospital was a huge huge part of it and will always be a very foundational part of even the work I'm doing right now. I would not be able to do this work without the experience I had there. No, the transformation that you did is just amazing. So once you started Sue full time at Capstone and you know left uh, the hospital behind, like what was the kind of big surprise for you? Because you're in a corporate structure for 21 years and now you're you are the corporate, the corporation. <laughs> what, like, like what was like, oh my God, I didn't know if I ran a company, I, this is going to happen. What was this for you? What really is interesting is that 
I think it was easier to run, you know, multi, multi-million dollar hospital with this complex work that happens every day to care for patients and to make that business operate. I can do that in my sleep. This is this was new and different, right? So, and some things didn't translate, right? Some things didn't translate. Marketing for our business, right? Marketing and sales for our business, that isn't how you market and sell your business in healthcare, like as a healthcare organization, right? Your community relations, your marketing efforts for, you know, word of mouth, your reputation, those kind of things. Some of it translates like your reputation, word of mouth, some of that is, but to actually market and sell, um, we have a, a company strategy and our strategic plan has four pillars, serve, develop, sell, and self. And I can develop new and better ways to get faster and better results for our clients every day of the week. Like I can always be working to study, adjust that, figure it out, make it better. Been doing that for 12 years. We'll just keep doing that, making sure that that the plans, resources, and support that we give our clients is is top-notch and always getting better to serve them better. You can do that in my sleep, right? Just like patient care, improving that, but, you know, similar. Um, developing better systems and mechanisms and those kind of things. And then there is the um, serve part, which is actually serving our clients, which, you know, is, again, the delight of what we do. It's It's the favorite part of work that we do is the the interface we have and we're, we have values around relationships. And even though much of our work is done remotely or from afar, our relationships are just an important part of our, our service pillar. And again, I think that translates from healthcare too, is, you know, you, you are um, a servant in, in that situation. So that, but then there's that, and we have a self self pillar, which is really about being well ourselves. It's really hard to do this big work if we don't have a ton of energy and we're not well ourselves. And so we need to role model that because that's true of our clients, right? The staff and employees and leaders where we have relationships with is we have to be role models for well-being and resilience and doing our best work because we are our best selves. So, so that's an important part, but then there's that darn cell pillar. <laughs> and that has always been something that in the beginning, we didn't even know we needed it because in the beginning, we weren't sure how big we wanted to take this. I almost feel like the last 12 years has been a lot of R and D trying to figure this out and almost running like a nonprofit that then a you know a big expanding growing business and we got so busy in the beginning just helping hospitals that found out about us through word of mouth that we never in the first 5 years had to really set up a sales or marketing arm for our company because we were adding new clients doing more work making more impact without ever having to stand that up and so then we realized, boy, if this is going to be a business, you can't not have that. And we've really struggled to try to figure that out on our own, find different you know, ways of doing that, experts to support us in that. And I would still say that that is the biggest work in progress for our company is if we want to have bigger impact, right? If we want to make a bigger difference in this industry, we've got to figure that part out because quite frankly, most 
most healthcare organizations don't even know we exist and they don't even know what we can do for them. And they don't even know how amazing it would be if, if we got the opportunity to do that. And so we're just finally 12 years in, truly, truly committed to growing. And before we weren't quite sure we wanted to do that. We were happy doing the level of work, the volume of work, the number of organizations we were working with. We we're happy with that. But now we have you know, people that know our work that could come to work for us that want to do this work. I have a list of people that tomorrow, if I called them and said, could you join our team as a strategist, trainer, and coach to do this work? I could double or triple the size of my team tomorrow to serve more clients. I just, they need to find out about us and we're willing to do that. And we weren't quite geared up or willing to do that in the past, but going into 2024, that is our new strategy that we, we can't keep this, you know, hidden any longer. It's value um, needs to get out into our industry. And so we just have to figure out how to do that. And so that's, that's been the biggest struggle is figuring out how to do that. And what I learned as a leader in a healthcare organization didn't prepare me for that at all. <laughs> yeah, no, I'd love your transparency. I mean, that uh, I think, and yeah, I think that most people that leave uh, the corporate uh, womb, I'll call it, and start their own <laughs> business, you know, they're, the the hardest part is the the selling, the business development. Uh, that you know, it's just they're not used to that, right? I mean, you sold ideas within a company, but you're protected because you have salary and benefits and a bonus and all those good things where now you're, you know, looking to help clients. And if you don't help clients and get more clients, you don't get any money, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. a, a different yeah. mindset, but I, I, I love the, the self pillar, uh, kind of uh what kind of things are you doing in that area because i'm i it's uh, one of the things i love about uh you know just uh, everybody's professional journey including my own i think mm -hmm. you know you have to be um you know at your top of your game and, and your best every day and the best is a relative measure right so you know if you yeah. only got three hours sleep the night before you're not going to yeah. be as good as if you got seven or eight right that's just how yeah. it works but to what what kind of things are is capstone uh, doing in that area yeah well we eat our own cooking so the approach that we use um so our team there's 10 of us so our team uses the same approach as individuals and collectively as we would recommend our healthcare organization clients do so we have as part of our leadership framework that is part of the scope of work we bring into our partner organizations is um, promoting well-being is one of the core practices that right from the start of our company, when we packaged, you know, what is it that we did that transformed our healthcare organization and improving the well-being of our workforce was definitely one of those things. And that actually, before I get into the how, uh, I'll kind of root the, the why. So one of the improvement initiatives that when I was at War Memorial, one of the improvement initiatives that we worked on to improve patient care was in the intensive care unit. And it was a statewide initiative in Michigan through Keystone. And this project was their very first one. Many years ago, it's been well-published, different books and journals about the success of it. But 
it was a, a keystone ICU project where we were decreasing the mortality rates of patients in ICUs across the entire state. And what was so profound about the elements that led to the success of that project, that a key part of the activities that improved outcomes for critical care patients was the well-being of the staff that were caring for them. And this was so profound. You think it's the ventilator bundle or the checklist for central line in, in you know insertion and all of these clinical kind of process improvement things, but it was the actual, you know, one of the profound things we learned in that project was it, some of those things aren't going to make as big a difference or get even used or used well if the staff are coming to this work in a place of un, unwellness. And so right away, when we had to package what we were bringing to other organizations, right from the start, our framework includes well-being. And when we set up our company's strategies and our values right away, it included self and resilience. And so the how of this that we bring out to our, our team and our company, but also to our organizations is something that we call resilience rituals and routines. And in essence, it's an approach for individuals, but it can also be used in entire teams and entire organizations where you create these rituals or habits. And we all know that that's hard, but it's this organized way to create rituals or habits that improve our well-being from a holistic sense. It could be nutrition, it could be um, hydration, it could be stress relief, it could be movement, any of those kind of things. So it's, you know, encompasses a real holistic approach to well-being. But the idea is this, is to really consider and improve over time your consistency and your plan for this is what are your rituals and routines for getting ready for your day? So how do you bring yourself to your work through habits and rituals that bring you, prepare you for a good day of work? So what are those rituals and routines you do before you start? The clock strikes and you're, you're on for the day, right? Then there's the rituals and routines for how you refresh yourself throughout your workday. So sit for 60, move for three, transitioning from one task to another by some sort of ritual of release tension, set intention, these kind of things, um, taking a break, drinking water, and all of what are those rituals and routines that refresh you throughout your workday? And then what are your rituals and routines to recover from your workday? So how do you transition from work to the next thing and have some rituals that prepare you so that your family doesn't get what's left of you, but they get the best of you. So how do you make that happen? And what very specific rituals or routines do you have that you hold to that, that make that happen for you? And then what do you do to recharge in your off times? And what are those rituals and routines, those things that feed you, fill you up that you can do in your off times? So if we can create this plan and always be studying and adjusting this plan, we can basically have our, our plan for always continuing to promote our well-being. And so this is the approach we teach, but it's also the approach we use. And like I said, 
entire departments like the emergency department at a hospital they could have a resilience ritual and routine for how they start their day as a team when they start their shift how they refresh and support each other and refreshing throughout the day etc cetera, etc cetera. so we we really promote it on an individual level but we know it can also have group levels and so in our company when we do our strategic planning and we do quarterly action plans for sell develop serve and also self we have each of our team members have their own plan for their resilience rituals and routine and every quarter they evaluate is it working for them where is it not where do they need to make some adjustments and we just always have a plan and we're always adjusting and improving that plan and our consistency of application of it oh my god i love that i mean i think that's we could talk another 30 minutes on that alone <laughs> So tell me, um, Sue, and what did you get? I mean, obviously, you had this unbelievable uh, experience in the developing of solutions and your experience there, both at the hospital and through your, you know, work uh, for your uh, masters. And but where did you get this approach? Because it reminds me of a certain person, uh, author. But I'd love to hear, you know, how you put that approach together. You know, it was as simple as this. <laughs> so in our company, one of the things that we did was we created this Facebook group where leaders who are also interested in inspiring positive change can gather together and we can, you know, inspire and equip them through little things in that group. And we were, one of our years of our plan was to every week go live in that group. And we always talk about our nine core leadership practices and we have little live events that talk more about it. Well, one, one week I was just preparing to talk about promoting well-being, one of our core leadership practices. And I was thinking about how can I present this in a way that maybe they haven't thought about it before. Right. And in 20 minutes, I just riffed about the new R&R, rituals and routines, right? R&R, rest and relaxation is now rituals and routines. And I just riffed on it and it turned out to be this. And so when I say that we're always studying and adjusting and figure out new and better ways to take what we started with and always be making it better, more practical, more usable, more doable, because if it isn't practical, usable, and doable, then it doesn't matter how great the solution is or how how important the why is, right? And so we're always looking for ways to do that. And then one day when this just came out of my mouth, <laughs> and it did, it just, we started to refine it, figure it out, present it. It resonated with people. They started to say it was working. Then we started applying it to teams and we started applying it to entire organizations. And so, yeah, we're always looking for the new, better way to package what we do and bring it out to the people that could benefit from it. And this that's just the process. It was honestly just spontaneous. It was a buildup of all sorts of things, lots of experiences. Um, I read a lot, like 50, 60 books a year easily or listen to them on Audible, some of them over and over again. I have all these inputs in my brain that are just stirring around there. And sometimes there's these moments like that one where all of a sudden the pieces just come together and boop, there it is. And that's just one of those moments. And I'm not even the one like Jane in our company is the one that she's, you know, we each have our things where 
were mostly the lead on it. Like me, the goal cycle and setting and achieving goals and making each goal cycle better than anyone before. So the departments and entire organizations just keep getting better and better using a robust goal cycle. Like that's my jam. And well-being was her jam. Like she was really a champion of that for our company and it's work around that. But one day it was just me where it just came out. And then she's like, yes, I'm going to run with that. And she did. So she, she gets the credit for, for running with it and packaging it in new, better ways and bringing it out in ways that my brain doesn't work and hers does. So she and I are very synergistic that way. We're very different, but we're very synergistic. No, I love it. And I think because you apply your own principles, it's in the recovery time and the the quiet time where you get your best ideas. So that's why people that run or walk or while they're in the shower get their best ideas because their mind is the most relaxed. So you have all these inputs, which is incredible that you read, you know, yeah. a book a, a week type thing. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, I love that. Uh, I have to thank my Aunt Barbara for that. So one of my child, getting back to my childhood, which is where we started, when my parents were busy running this business, it was busy, most busy in the summer. So they would send my sister and I to my grandma and grandpa's farm, and they'd converted a chicken coop into a place where my cousins and my sister and I could stay for the summer. And my my Aunt Barbara was a school teacher, so she had and a librarian. So she had the summers off. And so if it was sunny, we went to the beach. If it was raining, we went to the library. And that was my summers for many years. And my addiction to reading started from those summers on, at the farm in the chicken coop. I love it. <laughs> where many great ideas were hatched as a child. No. Yeah. Oh, you're um, so funny. Bum. Okay. <laughs> You're as uh, funny as I am not. <laughs> uh, Sue, you have some, uh, I love your stories. You're, you're, uh, and what you've done is incredible. There's two groups I'd love to help on uh, uh, with uh, great leadership advice from uh, people like yourself, Sue. One is that recent college graduate. So, you know, think back uh, when after Ferris State University and you're trying to get that first job. What advice would you give them as they begin their professional journey and getting that first job? Well, they may want to think about, I mean, if they're going, if they're in the process of trying to find that first job, they may not land on the perfect one right out of the gate, you know, and be willing to explore things maybe that they wouldn't have considered. Like I would have, if they would have posted that job in the administrative office, I would have never applied for it. You know what I mean? Like I would have never applied for it. So I think it's about putting yourself out there. It's about looking beyond the obvious, exploring things. So just like you might've explored your educational pursuits, you might want to explore your, your job pursuits. I think too, a, a value that you could grab really, really early in your career, and it could serve you throughout your career would be to get into a ritual and routine of every single day reflecting or at least maybe not every day but at least every week either doing a reflection or a review about healthy reflection of what you learned and what went well and what we you would do different if you could do it again like constantly being not in this beating yourself up ruminish 
ruminating when you mess up and you will, it's easy to get into that pattern to be so hard on yourself, especially if you're, you know, you have big aspirations, you've had a history of high achievement and those kind of things. Those kind of people tend to be really hard on themselves and reflect often in ways that are unhealthy. And so to really, I, I love a practice of three good things and one thing I'd do differently. And so that's something that I didn't learn till later. And it would be hard to turn off the day and the negative rumination about, gosh, that was a bad move. Gosh, if I could make that decision over again, I would. Gosh, you know, and really get into these three things went well, I learned this, I did this well, and this one thing, if I could do it over again, and next time if it happens, I'll do it in this new, better way. I think getting into some sort of pattern of that early on would serve people well, and I wish I'd have done it earlier. Yeah, no, that's great advice. The other group I like to help now, you know, you after college, you you know, you're usually an individual contributor, but then you get that promotion. And now you have people you're responsible for. What advice would you give them as they begin their leadership journey? Leading people is way harder than changing processes or, or results. And in fact, when you do those, when you want to do those things and processes or change results, it usually requires people. So Leading people is is just a, a really important responsibility. And I think that I'm going to go actually to our co-founder Jane's story with this because we often use it to highlight when we talk about exceptional leadership. And I, even in my own, I mentioned we, we were working hard, but we we're having a hard time making positive change and creating improving results and, and making things better and having a great reputation as an employer or whatever, is that if we don't really understand what it means to lead people in ways that are empowering and engaging, then we do it in such a way that we rob our employees of opportunities to grow and develop. And we think it's our job, not their job. And it's versus it being a partnership. So I'll give an example. When Jane was an emergency department leader. So when I was a chief nursing officer, she was my frontline manager of the emergency department and some of the critical care services. And one day I found her in the cafeteria in the fetal position, sucking her thumb, that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but she she likes to even pose it that way. <laughs> I found her just a mess. And if you knew her, she's just this strong, capable, amazing superwoman of a human being. And I found her just in a crumble. And what had happened was she had a huge exodus of registered nurses, resign just all at once, a whole bunch of them, her most experienced people, all of a sudden, you know, basically she's going to have to be going to the night shift every weekend to train new staff, to just provide care, her leadership responsibilities and projects were going to have to be put on hold. One thing I do know about being a chief nursing officer is the stress of not having competent, capable staff and the right volume of them to, to take care of the patient's volumes and demands is like just... So that, that responsibility is so profound. 
Well, now she's in a situation of crisis. And she really had to look in the mirror to say, what was it about her leadership that led 14 people from the night shift to all resign, right? And she was a great nurse. She was working hard and long. She was working shoulder to shoulder. She was throwing in a, you know, chest tube on a trauma patient. And she was, you know, staying late and coming early or whatever. But what she wasn't doing was spending time on leading people and leading her department in such a way that people want to stay and give discretionary effort and work towards improvements. And yeah, they may move on for, you know, certain things that, that are their purpose in life and their, or their past in life, but, but they're not leaving because the workplace and the work environment and the culture and the processes and the systems were in such disarray that they just couldn't take it anymore. And they needed to go somewhere else to get away from it. And so that's a huge responsibility and it's a different way of leading and approaching leadership. And she thought she was doing it all right, doing all the right things. She was working hard, long, she was dedicated, but she wasn't doing it the way that created that culture and that department where her team would stay and be loyal and retained and contributing for the long term. And I wish I'd have known that the first 10 years of my career too. And Jane wishes she knew it early in her career, but this is the work we do through our leadership bundle is there's really three buckets of where leaders spend their time. The whirlwind day-to-day operations, which is reactive, firefighting, band-aiding, whatever. That's what she was doing. Her whole time was spent doing that. It's exhausting. Guess what? It doesn't get you anywhere. It doesn't get your results to improve. It doesn't get your people to stay and be loyal, right? And so she was spending all her time there. The other bucket is management tasks. You got to do payroll. You got to do schedules. You got to order supplies. So she was spending time doing that, right? But most of her time was fighting the whirlwind. But till she learned to lead in ways that are positive, proactive results, improving and engaging her staff and empowering them to be major contributors at that, until she learned that piece, the results in her apartment and the morale in her apartment and the loyalty and contributions of her apartment just weren't going to be enough to create a top-ranking, award-winning emergency department. I haven't memorized everyone's answers to that question, but that might have been the best answer to that question I've ever had. Oh, really? Had. Yeah, it was very good. Uh, so good uh, and so deep. And, you know, it's all about stories and people resonate with stories. And uh, But, uh, Sue, I have to say, you are so great to talk to. I love your career arc. I love what you're doing now. I love your passion for helping rural uh, hospitals improve and, 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 you know, making the community better. Uh, by making, you know, the, the rural hospital systems better. So thank thank you for being on the corporate couch today. Oh, you're welcome. I, I appreciate the invitation to have this conversation, Jeff. And I'm so glad that Doug introduced us. Yes, me too. Have a, have a great rest of your day. Thank you very much, Jeff. There's so many things I loved about my conversation with Sue. I, you know, reading 50 to 60 books a year is uh, phenomenal. Um, I just uh, I love that. Um, her talk about having mentors you've never met and naming them intellectual boyfriends. 
um, uh, that was, that was, uh, I, I love that. Um, and just, you know, what accomplishments, uh, uh, you know, when she turned her hospital around and the care, you know, the passion for making a difference when she talked about, she didn't want hospitals to close down because, you know, they would, it'd be a six hour drive to the next hospital because they had to go to the Mackinac bridge. And if that froze, they couldn't cross it. I mean, just so many different things she had uh, that I really was so impressed with. And then really the caring, you know, they had four pillars at her company about serve, develop, uh, sell, and self. And all the things they revolve around self in terms of self-care, you know, they called it the the new R&R, the rituals and routines. So you can come home from a job with plenty left in the tank so you can take care of your loved ones and be with, present with your loved ones instead of being drained so you know having a great culture and uh you know all the things they're doing for their clients and the other thing when she was at the hospital she gave notice a year in advance because she wanted to f- have these initiatives finished at the hospital before she started a new company and the company, the hospital itself, let her have a second job, basically, which most company, a lot of companies won't let you do today. That says a lot about what they thought of her. A hundred percent. Yeah. And, 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 and have that leadership uh, to say, look, you, you can help other hospitals. We need you here, but please, you know, as long as it's not affecting your work here, which we know it won't, you know, to give a year notice is crazy, mm-hmm. but Again, she wanted to because her leadership, which was probably the CEO at the time, said, look, do it because this is for the greater good of the whole hospital system in Michigan and, and the country, what you're going to be doing. So yeah. I just thought it was great. That, that was that was really cool. She's a computer programmer. So, you know, I got to love her, right? Yeah, uh, she old school, too. Old, old school computer programmer in uh, in high school. We follow so many different trajectories in career paths on these interviews. And she was one of them that went into college, has a twin sister, so exactly the same genetic makeup, exactly the same environmental makeup. Her twin sister knew exactly what she was doing, going into healthcare information systems immediately. And Sue wandered around and you know, all this computer programming and maybe be an engineer because she's good at math. and going into nursing and ended up with a with a double degree in in what was it in nursing and and healthcare the healthcare in, right? health information systems and so, then yeah. she she stumbles into this career in management by first of all replacing her sister in uh in, in a maternity leave going on this uh internship and then having the CEO tap literally literally tap her on the shoulder and say come in and work for me because I want you to set up this system or this process. Yeah. And how scared she was. She's, you know, just out of college. (laughs) And she knew about total quality management, continuous improvement because she had that internship and they were doing this big initiative. And so she never was employed as a staff nurse. Never, (laughs) never been, uh, never employed as a nurse after she gets a degree in nursing, after she wanders in her mind, at least about what is this, career how is this career going to take me 
and uh, so it's just, it's just interesting. Just tack that up as one of the other interesting career paths that we investigate on the corporate couch. Yeah, that's so good. It was, loved, loved, our, loved our conversation. It was great. So what leadership advice uh, do you have for our great listeners today? We are going to that great philosopher, Michael Scott. One time in a moment of rare mental clarity, he said, tell him to call me as ASAP as possible. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Corporate Couch. If you enjoy the podcast, I would love for you to take two minutes out of your day to rate us five stars and write a review. Please join me next week to learn from another great leader sharing their professional journey and insights.